Good evening, sisters, and welcome to New Creation Realities. And we're going to go ahead and continue with our lessons, Let There Be Light. And <clears throat> today I wanted to uh, just continue on where we left off in our previous lesson. And I wanted to, before, before we do that, I wanted to just ask a few questions that were on my heart. And um, I'll go ahead and ask, ask them. And I'll just go ahead and give the the responses as as I heard the question in my own heart. So just a few questions. What is there when there is no life? And if you really consider it and take a moment and think about it, the obvious response, these are not trick questions by any means, and I'm not trick, trying to trick anyone. But if you consider it, <clears throat> the obvious response is basically death. When there is no life, then there, there is death. Another question. Does Jesus lack anything? And please, everybody, say no. <laughs> Jesus lacks nothing. He lacks nothing. Does our life, the believer's life, lack anything? No. Because Christ is the life of the believer. And if Christ, if Jesus Christ lacks nothing, then my brothers and sisters, our life, who is Christ, lacks nothing. Is there anything lacking to what God does? The response is no. There's nothing lacking to what God does. Is what God does perfect? Yes. All right. <clears throat> the believer the one who's born again, does not have two lives. In fact, there are not two lives at all. There is one life who is Christ. Before the soul is born again, the soul has no life whatsoever. We can't, we can't even say or look back, we who are born again, and say, well, my life was terrible, or my life was okay, or my life was good. No, no, no. Before Christ, there is no life whatsoever. See, what we do, we who are born again, we call death life when it is not life at all. And what we're actually doing when we do that, we are making God a liar. We are calling God a liar. Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He also said, I am the resurrection and the life. <clears throat> but my brothers and sisters, we know this. When we do that, it's out of ignorance. It is out of ignorance of not seeing him, Christ himself, who is the life of our soul. Who is our life. Now, another question. 
What is there when there is no light? The response should be darkness. Where life is not present, death is present. Where light is not present, darkness is present. It, it is always one or the other, one or the other. It, it, it is not both. And I know we think that it's both, <clears throat> but it is one or the other. Either Christ is present in the soul or he's not. If Christ is not present in the soul, that soul has no life whatsoever. It doesn't matter whether a person goes to church, sits down, agrees with a message or with a teaching or with a doctrine, signs some form of membership. No. If Christ is not present in the soul, that soul has no life whatsoever. Now, for the one who is born again, Christ being present in the soul by a miracle of God, if the heart of that soul is not directed and brought in knowledge by the Holy Spirit, our guide, then there is no light. In effect, the heart is looking into the face of the wrong man, trying to find what only can be found in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the face of the Son of God. <clears throat> now, I know with man, it is forever eternally impossible. It requires a miracle of God for there to be life. It also requires a miracle of God for there to be the light of life. God himself does this. There, Listen, listen, we who are born again, there is no we in the kingdom of God. Okay, hold on, hold your horses, hold on. <laughs> there is no we in the kingdom of God. It's either I, us, or Christ. And if we did it, if we accomplished it, that is, now listen to what I'm saying here. We, as in, let's say I say this, we that is me and the Lord, accomplished something, then my brothers and sisters, nothing, absolutely nothing was accomplished at all. Either God is the doer of it, or nothing is done. It requires a miracle of God for new birth. It requires also a miracle of God for the knowledge of new birth for the light of life. <clears throat> there is no we. There is no me and Jesus. No, I know we think that. There is no me and Jesus. There is no me and God. There is no God helping me. No, no. The work of the Holy Spirit from before the soul is born again is preparing the ground of the heart to direct and bring the heart unto life. This is what the Holy Spirit is doing, continually doing, preparing the ground of the heart to direct and bring unto the person of Christ, the Son of the living God. First, that there may be life, 
where there was no life before, then that there may be the light of the life who is present. <clears throat> this is what the Holy Spirit does. This is not my work. This is not your work. This is not our ministry. This is not your ministry. No, no, no. This is the eternal ministry of God. This is what God has been doing since the beginning. Directing hearts under the person of Christ, his son. This is what God does. No man can do this. No man can do this. No. No man can say, well, me and the Lord, we dot, 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 accomplish dot, dot, dot. No, no, no. You and the Lord accomplish nothing. If the Lord didn't accomplish it by himself, then nothing was accomplished. You know, even I, I've shared this verse, even the Apostle Paul, at, at, forgive me, I can't remember the epistle. He was saying, basically, uh, I'll paraphrase it. He was saying, basically, you know, I labored more abundantly than all the other apostles. And then he has to kind of take a step back and say, well, uh, yet not I, but the grace of God in me. He, can, he can't say, I did something, because he knows the truth. He sees the truth in the face of the truth himself. His glory is in God and God alone. His boast is in God and God alone. <clears throat> so, now, based upon what uh, the lessons that we've been looking at, for, I don't know, maybe since the, the beginning of the series. Uh, I've got another question. Oh, yes, look at here. I wanted to find this verse, and I didn't find it. I just, well, I just jotted it down. We're going to go ahead and read it. <clears throat> what is the first thing that God does in a creation? And I'll just give the answer. He prepares it to say, let there be light. <clears throat> that we read in Genesis chapter 1 through verse 3. And God, in Genesis chapter 3, it says, Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. Now listen. God did not, did not create the light in Genesis chapter 1-3. He did not create that light. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. The Apostle Paul, referencing Genesis chapter 1, <clears throat> verse 3, says the following, For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown, who shined, listen, in our hearts. Okay. Hmm. This word, in, is the Greek word, en. <clears throat> Remember our, our previous uh, uh, lessons with the theme uh, in Christ? That's the word, en. En Cristo. En, Strong's number 1722. So, let's read it again. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in, not unto, but in our hearts to give the light of 
the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And I just want to look, <clears throat> excuse me, real quick. In is the same word where it says, in the face of Jesus Christ. In Cristo. Actually, it's actually en prosopo. The face of Christ. Same word in is there as well. <clears throat> to be found in his face. This light God has made it made to shine in our heart. Very specific. Very specific. But what light? This light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Okay. Once again, with with our question concerning Genesis chapter one verses one through three, God did not actually our statement. God did not create the light in Genesis chapter three. <clears throat> the light that God created was the sun, the moon, and the stars. We find this in Genesis chapter 1, going a little further, verses 14 through 16. Then God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. Verse 15, Let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on... You see the word on, not in, but on the earth, upon the earth. That <clears throat> Hebrew term, uh, I don't even know how to pronounce it, is Strong's number 5920. It basically means above. Uh, in the Septuagint, epi, it's Strong's number 1909, means above as well. <clears throat> it's not in, but above. On, upon. Okay? And it was so. Verse 16, Then God made, there you go, two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, the sun, and the lesser light to rule the night, the moon, the stars also. Then God made. These are the lights God made. <clears throat> Before, my brothers and sisters, there was the light of the testimony, the sun, the moon, the stars. There is the light of God himself. There is the light God makes, the light God gives, and then there is the light who God himself is. 
Remember, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. If any follow me, he shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. But he defined, he defined, Jesus himself defines the light of life. I am the light of the world. Now, with Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, and verses 14 through 16, before there is the light of the testimony, there is the light, the eternal light, who God himself is. I can't remember which lesson it was, but I know we touched on this. The testimony, the scriptures would not exist except the Lord. B. Jesus is before the law. And I'm not sure if I had this marked, but I'll just say it right now because I'm thinking of it. Excuse me. And uh, I'm not sure if it's the the Apostle Paul who says this concerning the scriptures being like a mirror. I think so. And I can't think of the verse, but that's all right. But the scriptures, the testimony, is the mirror of God. And looking into this spiritual this heavenly, this divine mirror, we are to see the true, the only, the very image of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I know what we do. I know what the natural mind does. We go to the mirror, and instead of seeing the perfect image the only very image of God, the invisible God in the face of Jesus Christ, we see, my brothers and sisters, our own image. We see, in effect, a false image. And then because we see that this false image does not measure up according to what we read, We try to improve this image. All the while, our hearts are not directed and turned and looking into the face of the true image of God. We are looking, in effect, we are looking into the face of the wrong man. Instead of looking into the face of Christ, the second man, the Lord from heaven, we are looking into the face of the first man, Adam, who bears a fallen image. Remember, God said, let us make man in our own image. What is man does? Is is that even grammatically correct? What is man does? (laughs) Forgive me. I'm getting just as bad as I am in Spanish. What man does, he mars that image. That's what Adam did. He partook of the tree of death. That image is marred. That image is now stamped as, listen, rejected. 
Adam, the first man Adam, was supposed to be a testimony of the eternal man Christ. But by partaking of the tree of death, he marred that image. And then from him onward, all others were now in the image of Adam. And Adam bore a son in his own image. And then the marred image propagated and goes on to this very day. Even though the true image of God remains. All right. So now, <clears throat> even with a mirror, there's a reflection of an image. But I'll, I'll give this example. I'll give this example in the natural. If it, and please, you should you should don't try to spiritualize your response. If you pick up a natural mirror and you look into it, the image you see should be your own face. That that's true. Pick up a natural mirror, the reflection, the image you see in its reflection should be your own face. We can all agree with that. We should all agree with that. If not, we're lying. <laughs> okay? But what was first? Was the image first? Was the reflection first? Or was the person first? Do, do we see this? First the person, first the substance, then the reflection, the image in the reflection of the mirror of the person, of the substance. I'll go on. I'll, I'll just mention this. I know this one's, this other examples later on, I may mention it again. But even with, with, with a shadow, if you go outside during the day and you stand and you look upon the ground, you, you should see your shadow. You should. But what was first, your shadow or you? Do Listen, do you exist because of your shadow? Or does your shadow exist because of you? My brothers and sisters, the scriptures, the divine scriptures, the holy scriptures, the spiritual scriptures, which are the testimony of Jesus Christ, exist because the divine substance, who Christ himself is, is. Apart from the person of Christ himself, the shadow does not exist. They exist because the person exists. Now listen, now listen. The shadow is present, the testimony is present because the person is present. See, for, remember, first there is reality. Christ must be present in the soul. Then the Spirit of God continues working, continues working, preparing the ground of the heart that there may be now the knowledge of the new birth, 
the knowledge of life, the knowledge of Christ, who is present in the soul. When our soul, by work of the Holy Spirit, begins to see the testimony, the shadow, the reflection of the image, it is, my brothers and sisters, because the one who casts that shadow the one whose image the mirror reflects is present. Natural example. If you are with another person and you're looking at their shadow, my brothers and sisters, you're able to see their shadow because they are present. Now listen, <laughs> this is a natural example, but it bears witness. If you are looking at their shadow, then all that needs to be done to behold the person is to lift the eyes. When the heart is looking below, which is pretty much all the time, if the Holy Spirit is not directing our heart unto Christ, we are looking into the face of the wrong man, and by God's grace and tender mercy, the Holy Spirit directs our heart to come to find a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path, that we may lift the eyes of our heart to behold the true light of the world. This, my brothers and sisters, is what God does. Apart from God doing, nothing is done. Apart from God doing, nothing is done. Apart from the Spirit of God doing, hovering over the face of the waters, you know, formless and void, except the Holy Spirit be preparing the ground of the heart, nothing is done. No matter what we read, what we study, what we hear, what we see, nothing is done. With man, it is completely, absolutely, eternally impossible. But not with God. Amen. Unless we think that now we need to cry out to God to, oh, please do this. It is God's good pleasure to reveal his son. This is what the Apostle Paul said. But when it pleased God, this is his good pleasure. But when it pleased God, the first thing that God does in a creation is prepare it so that he may be able to declare, let there be light. This is God revealing His Son. Now, <clears throat> Jesus is before the law. Once again, the person exists before the image reflected in the mirror. 
the image that is reflected in a mirror is because a person is present. Right? Jesus is before the law. The law exists because Christ is the eternal substance of which the law testifies. I'll read it again. The law exists because Christ is the eternal substance of which the law testifies. This is true. This is what Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 44 through 47. How can you believe who receive honor? The word right there is actually glory, uh, doxan. It's the, the Greek term doxan. It's Strong's number 1391. It's glory. It's, it's, it's not honor. Well, it may be translated as honor, but it's glory. How can you believe who receive glory one from another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? My comment, looking for glory in the face of man, the first man, Adam, versus looking for glory in the face of God. Remember, Jesus is the image. Let me write this down. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of of Jesus Christ. All right. How can you believe who receive glory from one another and do not seek, there we go, do not seek the honor, the glory that comes from only God? Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. Here it is, verse 46. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote about me. But if you, do, if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? And so, this is Jesus saying this. I'm not saying this. No man says this. Jesus himself is saying the following. To believe the writings of Moses is to be convinced of, believe, and know that he is writing about Jesus Christ. This is what our Lord said. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you not, do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? It makes us re, rethink whether we believe the scriptures. It makes us rethink whether we believe the Old Testament. It makes us rethink whether we actually believe the Bible, the Holy Bible, or not. Because if we truly believe the Scriptures, then we are convinced 
that they were written about Jesus Christ himself. Then we are convinced that they are the testimony of Jesus Christ himself. This is if we actually believe what is written. There's a definition. All right, now, another question. What is familiar to man? To me, you, to we who are born again, to that, to those who are not born again, what is familiar based upon our previous uh, questions? Death is what is familiar. Darkness is what is familiar. And sin is what is familiar. Now, sin, my brothers and sisters, is missing the mark. That's one of the Greek definitions. Here's, here's Luke chapter 15, verse 21. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned. So first of all, there's relationship. See, if, if, a, if a soul is not born again, if, if a person's not born again, they don't care what they do. They're, they're missing the mark anyway. They have no life. They've never hit the mark. They've never come to the mark. They don't even know what the mark is. They've redefined the mark all by the mind of the first man, Adam. And I'll just uh, read it. It's Strong's number 264. It's properly to miss the mark and so not sharing the prize. That's Strong's uh, Greek dictionary. Okay, back to Luke chapter 15, verse 21. We'll look at the definition here in a second again. As, again, And the son said, so there's relationship with a father. Father, I have sinned. I've missed the mark against heaven and in your sight. And here we go. And no longer worthy to be called your son. There's relationship right here in the Father's house. And this one, this one who is in relationship with the Father has realized that his heart has been abiding somewhere else. So back to the definition, Strong's definition. Properly to miss the mark and so not share in the prize. Now, first, listen, brothers and sisters. First, it is in reality. Remember, the one who's not born again, hey, they have no clue even what the mark is. Well, I'll use the example that we used in one of our previous classes. They have no clue what the bullseye is, what the target is. No, no clue whatsoever. Completely miss the mark. They don't even see the mark. They have no knowledge of the mark. Who is Christ himself? The goal, the end goal, who is Christ himself, Christ himself. Now, so they are not sharing in any prize whatsoever, for there is no prize that is present for the one who's not born again. Now, the Holy Spirit, having been preparing the ground of the heart to direct and bring the heart unto reality, unto the mark unto the goal, unto the bullseye, unto Christ himself, the end goal 
of the purpose for which the soul was created of God, now, now, the heart having turned to the Lord, the Lord appears. And the prize, the eternal prize, is present. Because the Holy Spirit has brought the soul in reality. Unto reality himself, Christ Jesus himself. What man could not do, could never do, cannot do, and can never do, the Spirit of God has done. Now for the one who is born again, though the prize is present, listen, before our face, and the shadow testifies that the person is present if we would just lift the eyes of our heart to behold him. The Spirit of God now continues preparing the ground of our heart. That we may enjoy the eternal prize unto whom we have come by the work of the Holy Spirit, the moment of new birth. First knowledge, excuse me, first reality, then the knowledge of reality. This, my brothers and sisters, is what our God does. This is, this is what he has eternally done. This is the only thing he has actually done. All Listen, all that God has done, all that God does, and all that God will ever do is with one purpose, to bring unto the person of Christ his Son. That is it. Punto final in Spanish. Period. That's it. He brings unto the person of his Son. By the work of the Holy Spirit, first in reality, where the soul comes unto Christ for salvation. This is Christ himself appearing in the soul. When the heart turns to the Lord, the Lord appears. And then, then, for the knowledge of the life who is present, for the knowledge of the one who is present. always bringing unto the person of Jesus Christ. Man doesn't do this. No. Man cannot do this. Remember? There's no me and God laboring together in that sense. No, no, no. Either, here's the verse. Uh, forgive me, I can't, <laughs> I can't think of uh, where the, the address is in the scripture, but except, the, except God guard the city, hey, the guards, they're awake at night in vain. Except the Lord build the house, hey, the laborers labor in vain, except God do it. Nothing is done. Hell should I. With man, impossible, but not with God. For with God, all things are possible. All right.
So going back to our first question of the series that we've had, what is the importance of the scriptures, the Old Testament? Why are the scriptures, the Old Testament, important? Um, This should be ingrained in our mind, and the Lord willing, it will be ingrained in our heart by the Spirit of God. They testify of Christ. The scriptures, the Holy Bible, testify of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, because the scriptures are the testimony of Jesus Christ, they declare the full counsel of God, who is Christ, his Son. That was Acts chapter 20, verse 27. We've already looked at that. Because the scriptures are the testimony testimony of Jesus Christ, they declare the mystery of God in peoples, places, things, times, events, etc. Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 4. We've already seen this as well. Because the scriptures are the testimony of Jesus Christ, they declare that one was coming. Now, let's look at a few verses here. One was coming. This is Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. This is after Adam and Eve had partaken of the tree of death. And then God shows up and starts asking some questions. And then begins with cursing the devil. And then in verse 15, he says this, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. The word seed is masculine and singular. The Apostle Paul, being a Pharisee, later on goes to say the seed concerning Abraham, who is Christ. They testify of Jesus, brothers and sisters, and between enmity between the seed of the devil and the seed of Eve, who is Christ. He, now here we go, here's the prophecy. He shall bruise your head and you shall and you shall bruise his heel. We know this happened in the cross, the death, burial, and resurrection, where the powers, where the power of Satan was destroyed, where the power of the kingdoms of this world and the ruler of this world were brought to nothing. So that's one verse, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Now, here's another verse, Zechariah chapter 2, verses uh, 10 through 11. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I am coming. Look at that. I am coming. I love this. Look, <laughs> look at how he says this. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, he did not say, I am doing. No. He says, rejoice and sing because of the following. I am coming. I'm not sending a message. No. I'm not sending a doctrine. No. I'm not sending a teaching. No. I myself am coming. 
and to the heart that receives him, great joy, great thankfulness, great gratitude, adoration, and love for our God. The verse goes on, and I will dwell in your midst. I will be present. Says the Lord. Look at this. Look at verse 11. Many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day. And they shall become my people. And I will dwell in your midst. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. Many nations shall be joined to the Lord, joined to the Lord in that day, and they shall become my people, and I will dwell in your midst. Both Jew and Gentile, receiving the person of Christ, receiving the salvation of God, receiving the eternal life of God, all forgiveness of sins, righteousness, holiness, all these, receiving it all in the person of Jesus Christ himself. The one right here in Zechariah that says, I am coming. This is Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. And you can look up that word before. It's basically a Strong's number 6440. It might be panim, uh, something like that uh, in the Hebrew. Uh, it's basically before the face. So, behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before my face. Now, when you think of the word face, you have to, you have to, you must think of a person. Face, person. If God would have said, I send uh, my messenger, and look at that, I send, not man sending, no, I send my messenger, not man's messenger, and he will prepare the way, God did not say, prepare the way before my message, no. Prepare the way before my doctrine, no. Prepare the way before my teaching, no. Basically, prepare the way before me, myself, because I am coming. Remember? And from Zechariah, sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I am coming. A person. God himself in the person of Jesus Christ. The verse goes on in Malachi, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, I love this, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So because the scriptures are the testimony of Jesus Christ, that is the Old Testament, they declare that one was coming. I have a little time for us to look at John the Baptist because he is the messenger 
whom God sent before the face, before the person of his son. This is John chapter 1, verse 15. John bore witness of him, of Jesus, of Jesus Christ, and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes, I love this, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. That almost, (laughs) you have to think about that. This is he of whom I said, he who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. Before there is a message, before there is a messenger, before there is a declaration, before there is a testimony, there is the eternal word, Christ himself. In the beginning was the word. Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. This is John the Baptist speaking. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, preparing the heart so that the heart may turn true repentance. Remember, true repentance is not saying, God, I'm sorry for doing this, or God, I'm sorry for thinking this, or God, I'm sorry because of this. No, that's not true repentance. True repentance is when the heart turns unto the Lord. That's repentance. That is repentance. Just look at it this way. Very easy example. I mean, here, you who are looking at me, uh, those who are just listening, let's say my heart, or excuse me, let's say I myself am facing one direction. And let's say now I turn about, make an about face, and turn completely another direction. So therefore, I have something completely other now in view. That, my brothers and sisters, is a beautiful example of true repentance. When the heart turns to the Lord and no longer has the first man, Adam, in view, but now, by the work of the Holy Spirit, has the second man, the Lord from heaven, in view. That is repentance. Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. John the Baptist basically saying, everything that I'm doing, it is unto, for the purpose of repentance. If we don't see John the Baptist here serving the eternal ministry of God, then the Lord willing, at some point by the Holy Spirit, we'll be able to see that. But he who is coming, here we go, he who is coming after me is mightier than I, greater than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Basically saying, the I've read, and forgive me, I can't remember which commentaries, 
but uh, they're historical commentaries, and basically they're saying the the most uh, the most insignificant, the most humble servant would carry the sandals of his master. That was the job of the lowest servant, the most humble servant in the household of his master. Here John is saying, uh, in comparison to him, he who is coming after me, in comparison to him, he is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. <clears throat> Why do we think he can say something like that? Because by work of the Holy Spirit, he himself has experienced true repentance. He has seen the Lord. He has acknowledged the Lord. He has confessed the Lord. Therefore, automatically he declares, not I, but Christ. This is Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 through 10, going on. And when John had heard in prison, now John's in prison, about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, said to him, didn't ask Jesus' disciples, no, he asked Jesus personally, are you the coming one or do we look for another? Now, why is there doubt? And I know teachers and preachers have gone on with this. My brothers and sisters, there is doubt because at this moment, John the Baptist does not have Jesus in view. I mean, he's in prison. He has a cell wall in view. I have no idea what type of prison it was, but he was in prison. He didn't have Jesus in view. So then, here comes doubt. Exactly what happens to us, my brothers and sisters, when we do not, by the work of the Holy Spirit, have the eternal Christ, the Son of the living God, in view. We begin to doubt. Oh, well, maybe, is it really all about Jesus? Maybe it's about teaching. Maybe it's about preaching. Maybe it's about evangelism. Maybe it's all about miracles or, or maybe signs or maybe wonders. Or being the best you can be in this world for Jesus. Who knows? A myriad of man's purposes for existing. Because Christ, the eternal purpose, is not in view. That's where doubt comes. But we know this, brothers and sisters, we who have experienced this in our hearts, when the Holy Spirit prepares the ground of our heart to such a degree that he directs and brings our heart in knowledge under the face of Jesus Christ, we see the eternal one for which our soul exists. And there is no doubt. There is no confusion. There is only one. The goal. The prize. The bullseye. The eternal end goal, who is Christ himself.
So it goes on. Are you the coming one or do we look for another? Verse four, listen to what Jesus says. Jesus doesn't say yes and Jesus doesn't say no. Listen to what he says. Jesus answered and said, go and tell John the things which you hear and see. And now he's going to define the things. The blind see. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up again, and the poor have the gospel preached unto them. He goes on, verse 6, And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Now, what did Jesus do? When there is doubt, brothers and sisters, Jesus himself directs unto the testimony, which testimony is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. That which the Holy Spirit uses to direct and bring the heart unto, unto the true light of the world who Christ himself is. When there is doubt, my brothers and sisters, there is darkness. Because you can't see when there is light, there is no doubt. Everything is seen clearly. Think of this. It's late at night, the lights are out, and you hear a sound. You have no clue what it is, and all of a sudden, your natural mind begins to imagine what you heard. And there is doubt well, maybe it was this. No, maybe it was this. What about this? I don't know. Because there is no light. See, I don't know if you can hear it or not, but I can hear little dogs. Our neighbor's little dogs are outside because that's actually a nice day today. They're outside barking, and you can prob probably hear Cedar, our dog, who she is barking in response to their barks. It's light. I've looked outside. I know the reason for which my dog is barking. She sees and hears the other little dogs barking. Everything is clear to me. There is no doubt why my dog is barking. That's just a crazy natural example. But brothers and sisters, there is doubt. Doubt is present when there is no light. And Jesus didn't try to explain to John's disciples to try to explain to John when he questioned whether he, Jesus, was the actual Messiah who was to come or not. Or should we be looking for, how did he say it? Another. What Jesus does is direct their hearts unto the light that God gave, the light that God gave, that the heart may be directed unto the light whom God himself is, that there may be no more doubt whatsoever. All right, my dogs are getting excited. They want me to finish. I don't know. <laughs> it's not dinner time yet, but we're going on. Verse 7, As they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind, but what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing 
are in kings' houses. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face. Matthew included the word face because it's because it's there in the Hebrew, though not translated into the New King James or the King James. It's there in the Hebrew, but Matthew spells it out clearly. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you because you, Christ, was coming. Right? Matthew, we'll wrap it up with this verse, Matthew chapter 17, verses 9 through 13. Now as they came down, this is after the Mount of Transfiguration. Now as they came down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. And his disciples asked him, there we go, whoops, verse 10. And his disciples asked him, saying, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come Verse 11, Jesus answered and said to them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. Verse 12, but I say to you. See, they had their doctrine from the scriptures, and now Jesus is going to declare Not a doctrine. But I say to you that Elijah has come already. And they did not know him, but did to him whatsoever they wished. Likewise, the Son of Man is also about to suffer at their hands. Verse 13, the disciples understood that he spoke to them of John the Baptist. Because the scriptures are the testimony of Jesus Christ, they declare that one was coming. So, here we go. That's the end for this lesson. That's all for this lesson. Please present all of this to the Holy Spirit, our true teacher, that he may take that which he desires to take and use it for God's own end and God's own purpose, for God's will. Amen? Amen. The Lord bless you. We'll see you in our next lesson. Amen.